plainly. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we'll read part of the David and Goliath story and then look at one other passage. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse uh, 45, we remember this from our Sunday school days, when young David faces the big giant. We'll pick up in the middle of that story, it says in 1 Samuel 17, 45, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Notice how his reliance is completely on God. I mean, he mentions God throughout that declaration. Verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. All right, well that's 1 Samuel 17. Now look over at 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21, verse 8. Things have changed now. At this point, David has uh, had the king turn against him. And David, for safety, is having to run and keep hid. And he's without a weapon. And he's needing some protection. It's a good idea to have personal protection. That's a good thing. Amen. And uh, one of the main characters that will be interested in you not having any personal protection will be a government agent who is interested in harming you. And whenever there's a government agent that does not want you to have weapons, that is an important clue that they mean you no good. Amen. And, of course, the idea is supposed to be, oh, well, don't worry, we have a police force for that. Well, amen when you let them do their job. But we've been seeing riots in recent years where cities are taken over by crooks and criminals and people call the police force and they say they can't help them. That's true. You better have some personal protection. But anyway, in this uh, situation where David is now being pursued, uh, he sees that he has no weapon. So let's pick up the reading in 1 Samuel 21, verse 8. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. So one time David just had a sling and a stone, but the Lord gave him the victory, and the Lord provided the sword. 
And now another time, David is in a place where he's having a lapse of faith and he's running and scared. And where he had said before, the Lord doesn't save with sword and spear. Now he's asking for a sword and a spear and he's about to run down to the Philistines. And in one of the great ironies of the whole Bible, he runs right down to Gath where Goliath is from that the Lord had given him deliverance from. The very one he had defeated, he now runs to his hometown to look for safety. Hey, your safety is in the Lord. But I want to speak mainly about the sword of Goliath because David says, there is none like that. Give it me. Your Heavenly Father, I pray that you will come down and reveal to us some things that will help us remember the blessings that you've given us. And you've sure given us some blessings here. And I pray we wouldn't take those things for granted. And I pray we'd live accordingly. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, David's second encounter with Goliath's swords remind us, reminds us of several blessings of God. Now, I know who I'm preaching to here. At Victory Baptist Church, I'm preaching to some people who've been saved a long time. And you've got a long history of blessings from God. And the problem is, sometimes in the heat of the conflict and in the trouble of the day, you forget that. And you're all ready to run down to the Philistines. And God does several things that will remind you, I'm taking care of you. I've taken care of you in the past, and I'm going to take care of you in the future. So we just read the two times that David had no sword. One time he exclaimed, the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. But the next time in fear, David asks for a sword or spear before going down to the hometown of the giant that he slayed a few chapters earlier. Now, when he got back home, his family and friends came to him, helped him, aligned themselves with him. He should not have doubted and run to the Philistines. But God's mercy brought him back. And don't think I'm running David down. I have been in the same place many a time. And I should have known that the Lord had everything taken care of, but I just doubted him. And when he showed it to me, all I can do is hang my head and say, sorry about that, Lord. <laughs> I knew better than this. And uh, so I'm not running David down. I'm just pointing out things that he and I have both done. But near, even during this lapse of faith, God provided for David with an offering that David had made to him. Don't you know it would have been precious to David to keep the sword of Goliath? Wouldn't that have been a great keepsake? But it wasn't. It was up there wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Let me tell you what you'll never do. You will never regret anything you give to God. He will bring it back in blessing to you. Let me tell you what I think you should do. Just go ahead and give him everything. He will do a better job with it than you ever can. Just quit worrying and trust him with everything. Amen. How many times do we get all upset and think we got to get somebody back? Am I just going to let them by with doing that? Yes. Don't even raise a finger. Don't even lose a wink of sleep. Leave the whole thing to God. Number one, yeah. maybe he'll draw them back. And that would be a great blessing. Number two, if he does have to whoop them, he'll whoop them way better than you ever could. 
So either way it goes, the best thing for you to do is just get out of it and let God handle things. Could it have possibly turned out any better for David than a 40-year reign and being remembered as one of the great kings of all of history? Amen. Is, is it not said to be the throne of David that Jesus is going to go sit on? Yeah, it couldn't have turned out any better for David. But a bunch of us would have said, well, the Lord's anointed me through Samuel to be king. Saul's trying to kill me. I'll just have to kill him. Yeah. You know what David did? He just took his hands off and said, I'll not raise my hand to the Lord's anointed. I'll let God handle this. And God handled it the best way it could possibly. I feel foolish even saying such a thing. Of course God would handle it right. But he handled it in a way that was ten times better than David going and killing Saul himself. All right, now let's uh, notice some, several things about Goliath's sword here that reminds us of blessings from God. Number one, this sword had been proved. We knew it worked. You that have been saved a good long time, the blessings of God have already been proven in your life. You have no excuse for going back on them. You know they work. You know they've worked over and over again. Most of you, they've been working for decades. There is no excuse for forgetting that at this point. However, we did do right when we proved them, didn't we? The Bible does say, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. The Lord doesn't mind you proving. In fact, he invites us, he challenges us, prove me and see if I will not, so forth. And so prove all things. Here's the problem. Once you've proved him, you're supposed to hold fast to that which is good. Have you done so? Prove all things. Acts 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. You know why we think you ought to have a Bible sitting in your lap while anybody, including me, is preaching to you? You should be searching the scriptures to see whether the things I'm saying are so. If they're not in line with the scripture, they're not so. Amen. But if they are in line with the scripture, you've got a responsibility to get up off the couch and start doing them. Yes. And that's what this generation in particular sure does not want. They do not want anything expected of them. They do not want anything required of them. You don't come to a place where somebody preaches the word of God because when you do that, now there's a responsibility on you. Now you feel some pressure to do right. And oh, how people hate to be pressured into anything. And I'll admit, I'm, <laughs> I'm right with you. I don't care for it. But God's a little too important to that for that. You don't say, well, no, God, don't pressure me. Uh, no, he's God. You don't talk to him that way. Or if you do, it will not end up good for you. All right, reminding us to prove all things. And you, how do you prove them? You prove them by the Bible. What do they do? They search the scriptures daily. You need to saturate your mind in the Word of God. Amen. Amen. You need to read them daily so that you'll remember. But not only do you uh, prove these things by the Bible, another way you prove them is by their results. Matthew 7, 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Matthew 7, 20, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. How did things end up for that person? That 
that's, a, that's an important test to prove things by. Now, Goliath's sword had been proved. All right, now that reminds me of this. We're going to be tried. We're going to be tested. We're going to be proved. When you start living for the Lord, let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to show up and test you and see if you mean business. 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now notice the trial. It is called a fiery trial. You are going to face heartbreak. You're going to lose loved ones. You're going to lose money. You're going to lose health. Eventually, you're going to lose your life. This life is a veil of tears. This is a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. And it's just as true for the lost people as it is the saved, the backslidden as it is the dedicated. Everybody on this planet is going to go through some trial. So here's what Peter says. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. It's not strange. Everybody has them. But rejoice. We have this difference in our trials. We can rejoice in them. You know what it said about the disciples in Acts when they had been persecuted, beaten, thrown into jail? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Amen. The one difference we have, everybody goes through fiery trials, everybody gets sick, everybody dies, everybody loses loved ones, everybody has some disappointments, everybody has all the things you and I go through, except that we can rejoice in it and they can't. That's a big difference. That's a tremendous difference. Furthermore, he goes on in the next verse, and said, or in the rest of the verse, Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Way more joy even than that. Over there in 1 Peter 4. We will be tried, and we will be tried by suffering. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But the reason that we can go ahead and do our suffering now is so that we don't suffer on Judgment Day. The more you handle your suffering correctly now, the less you'll be suffering on Judgment Day. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or I will read it to you. 1 Corinthians 3, 13. Speaking of the judgment seat of Christ, it says, Every man's work shall be made manifest because the day for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire there's that fiery trial trial and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon he shall receive a reward if any man's work shall be burned he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire Verse 12 of this passage said, If any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now, you'll notice one category of those things to build upon. 
burns quickly and easily. Wood, hay, stubble. Now we're going to have some wood and some hay and some stubble in our lives. They're useful. We build our houses mostly with wood, don't we? And I'm glad we do. I'm not against wood, hay, and stubble. I'm just saying don't build anything on it when you know there's a fire coming. Wood, hay, and stubble is sometimes people preach against wood, hay, and stubble as if they're bad things. No, they're good and helpful things in their purposes, but they do not stand up in fire. In our churches, we have a lot of people that are kind of remind me of wood, hay, and stubble. I love them. They love me. They're a blessing. But as soon as Mr. Hard Times comes, you never see him again, or very rarely. They can't stand fire. And others, I don't care how much fire hits them, it is remarkable how faithful they are. Amen. I'm not against the wood, hay, and stubble. They just can't handle fire. <laughs> Gold, silver, and precious stones, they just stay no matter what. And don't get me wrong, I'm not running down the wood, hay, and stubble. That's what I was. What part of me endures is because God put something in there that lasts through fires. But we will be tried. I'll tell you something else. We need to try teachers and preachers. 1 John 4 says it this way, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Whenever you hear a preacher or a teacher, whenever you sense a spirit from somebody, you're supposed to try that spirit, whether it is of God. Now, one thing that we Bible believers do a great job of, and we emphasize it good, and we're 100% right for doing it, is you match somebody up with the Word of God and see if what they're saying or the, the, the spirit that they're living with is in agreement with the doctrine of the, of the Scripture. Because obviously, the Spirit of God is not going to contradict His own Scripture. And that's a great point, and it's a true point. But the verse doesn't exactly say, try the spirits whether they are doctrinally correct. Because that is one part of it. That's an important part of it. That may even be most of it. But it's not all of it. You know how I know it isn't all of it? Because one time the disciples said something that was doctrinally correct. And Jesus still corrected them and said, You know not what spirit ye are of. And they had said something that was exactly correct from what the scripture said. Does the scripture not say that you Elijah called down fire, and they said, well, Lord, should we call down fire like Elijah did? It was true, it was correct, it was biblical, it was scriptural, and the Lord still rebuked their spirit. Right. Hey, Bible believer, you're right on getting your doctrine right, but let me ask you this. How is your demeanor? Amen. Sometimes you got your doctrine correct, but your demeanor stinks. <laughs> the Lord Jesus did not correct them on their doctrine. He corrected them on their spirit, their demeanor. <clears throat> All 
Alright, so the first thing we notice about the sword of Goliath is it had been proved. Second thing we notice about the sword of Goliath, it seemed more usable now. Uh, they tell us that Saul's armor was too big for David. How much more Goliath's armor must have been big, too big for David. Right. If Saul's sword was probably more than David could handle, you know Goliath's sword was more than David could handle. I mean, it was enough for him to pick up and do one chop on the guy's head, sure. But he probably couldn't go around using that thing just all the time. He's too little for that thing. But now, David's been fighting a while. Now David's built more muscle. Now David's done more than just keep cheap. Now David has used all kinds of weapons. Now David knows what to do when a sword's a little too small. He knows how to make some moves to overcome that. He knows what to do when a sword's a little too big. He knows what to do. And this sword has been used successfully before. So we can point to the blessings that God's given us and remind us, hey, you know what? God's put this here for a reason, and I can use this thing. And especially as I grow, I can use it. God's creation, God's salvation, etc., etc., paying our bills and meeting our needs day after day remind us of his power. And this big old sword that God provided to David one time when he didn't even have a sword was a reminder of God's power. And David himself had grown in strength and skill and experience. I hope, victory, as long as you've been saved and as long as you believe this King James Bible and all the things that we hold so dear, I hope your growth has not stopped. I hope you're not at the same place now that you were five years ago. I hope you're a different person than you were. David had grown tremendously at this point in his life compared to where he was as a young man when he slew Goliath. We should grow, number one, in love for God. Number two, in familiarity with Him. You remember when the Lord wrote Moses' epitaph and He said, There arose not again a prophet in Israel like unto Moses, who was just almost perfect. <laughs> no. He says, Whom the Lord knew face to face. Amen. Your power is in your closeness to God. That's where it is. And now, by the way, that will certainly help your actions you will live cleaner if you live close to God every day you still won't attain perfection by any means but you will live cleaner when you're closer to him but the key is not the cleanness the key is the, key is the closeness yes. love of God familiarity with him experience obeying him Hopefully, you're going through the stages of sanctification that we sometimes talk about. When we got saved, we were saved from the penalty of sin in our past. Right now, we're being saved from the power of sin in our present. And in the future, thank God, one of these days when we get home to glory, we'll be saved from the, uh, the presence of sin Amen. in our future. That's a blessed thing. And I hope you're going through those steps. I hope you're not the same place you were a year or two or three or four or five ago. And if so, one of these days, the Lord will bring back a great blessing that he gave you that you didn't even understand how to use the thing. You didn't even have the skill or the strength to use the thing. But if you'll keep growing, he's got a whole 
stockpile of weapons that you'll have more and more access to in fighting for him. This sword had been proved, this sword will now. This sword was a reminder of God's deliverance. You should remember what God did for you. Remember where you were and what God did for you, lest you forget how much you're relying on. Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Just remember I'm human and humans forget. So remind me. Remind me, dear Lord. We need to remember his deliverances first, maybe, and foremost, so we'll praise him for it. Amen. Some of you have a favorite ball team. <coughs> One, once in a while on the TV, they'll be showing clips from a great old championship game where a great play was made that made it obvious your team was about to win the championship and don't you relive just for a moment the glory of your team winning that game sometimes you look back on letters from your sweetheart or some reminders of some times maybe I don't know you had your first kiss or first date or something doesn't that bring some of those things back you get looking back at some things maybe in your career where you got a big promotion and you got some recognition. Some people in their offices have trophies and have plaques that they've been awarded at different times in their career. And as they look at those things, they remember the great year in business they had or whatever it's recognizing them for. And it brings back a little bit of that. Hey, you ought to be thinking about some of the things God's done for you. Amen. To praise Him. To reinforce your faith. In your obedience, once God's brought you through some things, once God's given you a victory or two, it should remind you, you know what? I don't care what I go through, the Lord is right there with me. Then to influence others for God. Exodus chapter 13 says, When thy son asketh thee in time to come, what is this that thou shalt say unto him by strength of hand? The Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage, and it came to pass when Pharaoh, 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 the big emperor of the Egyptian empire, Pharaoh. It's good for you to face Pharaoh once in a while and remember God's bigger than him. Compared to God, everything is small. It came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. He said, here's why you need to remember this, so you'll tell your children what God did for you. Then when Joshua is getting ready to take over, the Lord says, you prepare in this way. He says, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. That sword of Goliath reminded him of God's deliverance. That sword of Goliath, I'll tell you this, also was a returned blessing. Don't ever hold back anything from God. If he doesn't let you have it right now, it's just because he's saving it up for some time that you'll need it even worse. Sometimes my children are given money for birthday or Christmas or some celebration of some sort. And I'll say, no, no, let's don't spend all that on this right now. And they'll say, hey, it's my money. I say, yeah, but that's why you have a daddy. 
Because I know you'll buy 743 chocolate bars, and then there'll be something you'll really want, and you'll be so mad that your money's all gone. And once in a while, let me tell you what the Lord will do. The Lord will take something from you, and you'll say, Lord, that was mine. And all Daddy's doing is making sure that you'll have that for something you need it works for, right. and something you're fixing to spend money on right now. Don't misunderstand. As kids get older, they need responsibility, and it does them good to have a have a failure once in a while and a disappointment once in a while. And I know you got to let them experience that, but probably not when they're three. <laughs> okay. And uh, compared to God, we're not even three, are we? <laughs> you just let Him control things. Okay. Uh, it was a return blessing. Philippians three seven. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss. For Christ, the things that are yours, lose them for the Lord. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. Even the most blessed, glorious things here on earth that are so dear to our hearts are nothing compared to Jesus. Amen. You be sure you live close to him and you'll have all the greatest blessings this life uh, gives, even if you have to sacrifice some that people would say are the most important things. No, Jesus is the most important thing. Amen. Be willing to give to God. Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Even if uh, if something's a sin, you need to get rid of it. Even if it's not a sin, you need to get rid of anything that slows you down in running your race for the Lord. And you've heard that preached many times. Yeah. Tell you something else about this point of uh, the, the sword being a returned blessing. It reminds us of the principle of sowing and reaping. If God gives you something, plant it. Plant it. Sow it. Put it in the ground that it can bring forth way more than just itself. The old uh, saying is that you reap what you sow, but you also reap more than you sow. David here certainly does. Joseph does. Daniel does. The three Hebrew children do. They not only, in all these cases, got restored to the position they had been, they got greatly exalted above that position. You plant everything you've got in God's garden and it comes back a hundredfold. You can't outgive God. Preachers have preached for many years. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Don't even regret slightly when you give something to God. Give him the whole thing. Why? God is able to make all grace abound to you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. I mean, he can just take care of you all the way around where you get everything that is in his perfect will for you. And let me tell you something. You don't want anything that's outside of his will anyway. In the end, it'll just be heartaches and trouble. Dad was teaching in the adult Sunday school class about Judah getting that Canaanite wife, and it was nothing but heartache. All the results from that was a mess. I'm sure at the time he was so happy. 
But the end result was no good. It was not only a return blessing, but it was better than hoped for. When David, here in our text, 1 Samuel 21, 8, he says, Is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? He's just asking, Is there any spear or sword? He didn't only get any spear or sword. He got the sword that there is none like that. Give it me. It's better than you'd hoped for. God can do better than our poor plans. Let's see, we're here in 1 Samuel. Let's look over in 2 Chronicles 28. 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles 28. I'm sorry, verse 25 is what I meant to say. 2 Chronicles 25, verse 6, Amaziah, the king that did right, but not with the perfect heart, makes a mistake here. It says in verse 6 of 2 Chronicles 25, he hired also an hundred thousand mighty men of valor out of Israel for an hundred talents of silver. But there came a man of God to him, saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go, do it. Be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy. For God hath power to help and to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Um, don't make the excuse of sticking with something that's wrong because of the fact that you've already invested in something that was poor plans. Amaziah said, well, I'll just hire some people from Israel. Here's the problem. Israel was out of fellowship with God at that time. And the prophet says, oh, you got you some soldiers to help you? All right, well, go ahead. They're going to wipe you out. Well, wait a minute. I've done paid money for these. Oh, okay, well, then take the soldiers you've done paid money for and lose your life with them. How about that deal? Oh, uh, no, okay. All right, here's your choices. You can either lose the money or lose your life. <laughs> if you have invested money in a bad plan, you have two choices. You can either lose that money or you can lose your fellowship with God. Which one do you want? <laughs> Don't ever hold on to something that is wrong, bad, or in error because you've already invested in it. Hold on to God and let the stupid money go. What if one of my kids stuck with something that was harmful to them because they already put a dollar into it? All they got to do is come to daddy and I'm not the wealthiest man in Crossville, but I got a whole lot more than a dollar. If you're holding on to something because you've already invested in it, it might not just be money. It might be time and effort and heartache and tears. <laughs> but if you're holding on to something just because you've invested a bunch in it, when it's dead wrong, you better let it go and hold Amen. on to God. Amen. I don't know how many Christians have kept going the wrong direction because they've already invested in it. Here's what you need to remember, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You need to remember in those times 
when you have to pay your stupid tax, as Dave Ramsey calls it, <laughs> that you serve a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above anything you've ever dreamed of. Why in the world are you worried about your little $50? <laughs> now, try not to be stupid and, and make those dumb investments so you don't have to pay those stupid taxes. But if you already have, stick with God and lose the stupid investment you made. It'll always come out better that way. It was better than hoped for. In fact, it was not just better than hoped for. It was the best one anywhere. Is that not what David says? There is none like that. Give it me. I mean, the giant, there was only a remnant of giants left. There weren't many of their swords left. David said, there is none like that. Give it me. Give me that one wrapped in that cloth behind the ephod. And that reminds me of something else. Matthew 27, verse 59 says this. It says, And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Oh, the most precious thing ever on the face of this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he gave everything for you and me, was wrapped in a clean linen cloth. And that reminds me of the great blessing that you and I have that buries the sword of Goliath is typified here by the sword of Goliath. You know what it says about the Lord Jesus? He was the best anywhere. Right. He's the best man. He's the best savior. He's the best God. He's the best friend. He's the best husband. He's the best. Any likeness you want to liken him to, he's top number one. Amen. You know what they said in his day? They said, when he got working, they said, we never saw it on this fashion. Right. They said, it was never so seen in Israel. They said, never man spake like this man. Amen. In the book of Acts, they say, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. You stick with Jesus. He's not only better than you thought. He's not only better than you planned. He's the best possible. That's true in every facet of your life. You need salvation. Jesus is the best and only, I might add, way of it. You looking for guidance? He's the best advisor you'll ever have. You looking for love and friendship? He's the best love and friendship you'll ever have. You looking to rear children and have a, a, them have blessed lives? He'll be the best blessing to them they could ever hope to have. You'll never fail in any facet of your life putting Jesus at the top of all of it. It was better than hoped for. It was the best anywhere. It was one of those rare things that changes from fearful to comforting. One of the great things about God is he comes from fearfulness to great comfort. God and his message scared us, and now it blesses us. The fear of God is one of the great precursors to you turning to him and being in the safest place you've ever been. Amen. Isn't that interesting? Our God is a consuming fire. It is a fearful thing to hand the fault hand to fall into the hands of a living God. Oh, man, we could tell you how scary he is and how full of terror he is. And yet, when you go to him, you're in the safest place you've ever been. Hey, amen. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they shall never perish. You're safe once you're with him. 
The same Bible that says, Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell is the same one that says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. One great truth about the blessing of God is it's one of the scariest things you'll ever face and then it is the very safest, most comforting thing you'll ever face. But for the wicked, the reverse is true. They go to that which looks comforting and nurturing and safe and it turns out to be the most horrible thing they ever ran into. Psalm 69, 22 says it this way, let their table become a snare before them. Your table is where you get your nourishment. You ought to be completely safe while you're sitting there eating dinner, shouldn't you? But it says, let their table become a snare. And that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Christian, when you go to God, you're in the safest place you can be. Worldly person, when you put your trust in the world, the flesh, and the devil, you're in the worst place you can ever be. I don't care if they look safe and God looks scary. <coughs> What, a, what an ironic thing. It changed from fearful to comforting. Goliath here, the very one that looked so scary to all of Israel till they were running from him, is the one that David is now getting comfort from. Babylon in Revelation chapter 18, everybody felt so safe with all the riches of Babylon. And now they're screaming and crying seeing the smoke go up from her. The well-intentioned sinner who puts off salvation too long is comforted by the fact that the church is right there. One of these days I'll go, I'll see the preacher, I'll find some Christian, I'll, I'll, I'll do what I know I need to do. Oh, that's a comfort to him. But when he keeps putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, one of these days it'll be used on judgment day and you had a chance and you wouldn't go. Amen. And that which comforted him for a long time turns into a threat. The worst threat, the worst trouble he could ever be in is rejecting God. It changed from fearful to comforting. And I'll say this about uh, Goliath's sword. It was not forced on David. One of the friends of David did not come to him and say, Hey, hey, here's Goliath's sword. Here's Goliath's sword. Take it. Oh, no, I don't want that. It's too big. No, there was nothing like that. It is not forced on you. What I'm preaching today, you do not have to do. You can just go on, live like the rest of the world. You can just go and do what pleases your flesh. It won't, it won't uh, be forced upon you in any way. On top of that, you won't lose your salvation over it. You can go through life saved, just worried sick like everybody else in the world, with no trust in God, no protection from Him. Most Christians are choosing to go that way. This will not be forced on you. But He did ask for it. He was looking for something. You know what I think? I think I'm preaching to some Bible-believing Christians that even though you're, you're saved, and even though you're not in some bad, horrible, sinful habits, you don't have any you know scandals going in your life or anything like that, I think you're still looking for something that will bring you a little more peace. I think <coughs> Christians need that too. David had a right to this thing, though, because of God's miracle. Likewise, you and I have a right to fellowship with the Lord because of the miracle of Jesus Christ coming down here and dying on the cross and shedding his blood for us. Amen. That's unbelievable. To us, to our human mind, we can't imagine such a thing. We wouldn't give up one of our children for a bunch of criminals, would we? And God did it. Amen. It's a miracle. Therefore, 
come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me tell you something else. David quickly took it. Let me tell you what I advise you to do. The sword of Goliath in the type, kind of like the word of God and many of the blessings of God is available to you today. Don't overthink it. He didn't start talking himself out of it by saying, well, one isn't enough. I've got a whole army of Israel against me. Or what good is a sword against a whole army? Or any other excuse. In our days, I said a minute ago, we often say overthinking things. Hey, you be careful. If God gives you a blessing, grab that thing and go serve him with it. Before you sit in the you can talk yourself out of it. I don't know how many times the Lord wanted me to do something. And I put it off and was lazy about it. Next thing you knew, I was talking myself out of it. <laughs> Have any of you ever known you should go to a church service and hear some preaching? But some things just weren't perfect here and there. And you didn't exactly feel great. And you were able to talk yourself out of it. <laughs> Has anybody ever had the Lord tell you you need to go witness to somebody? But it was a little awkward and a little uncomfortable. You didn't know exactly what to say, exactly how to start talking. So you just talked yourself out of it. <laughs> Anybody ever had the Lord tell them you should give a little money toward a missionary or something and you just remind, well, I've spent a little bit on this and a little on that. I'd like to buy this and, I, and you talked yourself out of it. There is many a time the Lord has told us to do something and we sit there and overthunk it. Amen. And talked ourselves out of it. That's right. You know what David said? There is none like that either. Let me tell you about the blessings of God. You won't ever find any better in anything in the world, the flesh, or the devil has to offer you. You just take it and go. Amen. Now, something that some slick, high-pressure salesman is trying to talk you into, I'll grant you, you ought to drag your feet. When it's a blessing of God found in the Word of God, you better take that and go. That'll never hurt you. All right, what have we seen today? We've seen some likenesses between the sword of Goliath and the blessings of God. Here was a prize David gave to God, and it came back to bless him in a time of difficulty. Christian, is there something in your life so dear that you just can't give it up or lay it aside in favor of God? I hope you'll give him everything. The boy with five loaves and two fishes could have said, well, look, this is my lunch. This is all I got. But when he gave it to Jesus, it was enough to feed him. And everybody came to him if he wanted. <laughs> you say, well, what, what, what will I do? I don't have that thing anymore. I'll tell you what you do. You remember what that ephod was, don't you? That was where they went to God. You know where that sword was found? It was found behind the ephod. You give everything you can to God. One of these days when you're in time of need, you go look behind the ephod and there it'll be wrapped in a cloth full. Amen. And oh, Christian, there is none like that. Take it. Maybe somebody in the sound of my voice is not saved. You've never trusted the Lord as your Savior. This represents for you that which is fearful. But if you'll trust God and receive His Son as your Savior, the same gospel that troubles you now will comfort you for all of eternity. The sword of Goliath is a great type of the blessing of God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to read and study your word and learn some things from it.
Lord, I thank you for the truths that I've learned in my own life.